Good morning. Good to see everybody here, and thanks for tuning in online. Um, I'm excited for today because about a month and a half ago, Scott asked me if I would step in and preach for one of the weeks that he was going to be on vacation. And so I actually had the choice of preaching what would have been last week, the last part of James chapter 2, or this week, the first part of James chapter 3. And I jumped at the opportunity to preach this week because this passage in particular has had a profound impact in my life. And some of you guys know my story, but in case you don't, what you have to understand is that um, I didn't come to know Jesus until I was almost 18 years old. And, you know, church was very foreign to me. My dad was not a pastor before me. This isn't some legacy that we passed down in my family. We didn't even attend church on Christmas or Easter. It was just this foreign thing to me. And over those 18 plus years of not even really knowing what sin was, I became really good at it. I went to a lot of parties and drank a lot of alcohol before I was 21. My drink of choice was a rum and coke. I stole a lot of things in my life. I cheated my way through high school. And if I had to rank my sin from like least favorite to most favorite, my most favorite sin was cussing and using my words to tear people down. I'm not exaggerating when I say it was like my hobby to try to mix together three or four cuss words to come up with some crazy new cuss word that I could tell my friends and be like, oh, I got a new one. Like that, that was like what I did. And so I will never, ever forget the night about a, a year after placing my faith in Jesus when I found myself sitting on the edge of my bed reading through my Bible, which was something I did not do a lot of back then. And I got to the book of James and I started reading through James and made it to chapter three. And I read this verse in James chapter 3. This is actually our memory verse for this week. When James says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And now you might disagree with me on this, and that's okay, but I'm 100% convinced that the Holy Spirit often manifests himself as an invisible WWE superstar. Because I read that verse and I was painfully convicted. I mean, it felt like a dropkick to my gut when I read those words. Because I realized the words that were coming out of my mouth, it's like poison being injected into the people around me. I mean, even my family and my friends, people who were close to me. So I read that and I was painfully convicted, but I needed that conviction. It hurt, but it was good for me. It's like when you get a cut and you have to clean it with alcohol and it burns, but you know, hey, it's cleansing, it's good. That's what it was for me. And so for the first time after reading that, I actually started studying the Bible for myself to, to try to learn what God has to say about the words we speak, how we speak it, why we speak it. And it was in that study I came across these verses that I want to share with you guys today. The first one from Luke chapter six, when Jesus is teaching and he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's this idea that whatever our our heart is full of is going to come out in our words. And Jesus, when trying to correct the Pharisees, because the Pharisees thought that you were defiled if you didn't wash your hands properly before a meal, and Jesus says, no, 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 He's, he's correcting them. He says, look, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, that same idea. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander, the very same things that I was struggling with. And so what I realized from that study, I never knew before, maybe you guys have already known this, but what what, what I realized for the first time was that this really wasn't just an issue with my mouth. This was an issue with my heart. Because our words have a source, and that source is our heart. 
There's a direct line from our heart to our mouth. And I realized that this morning, and that's what James addresses in our passage today. So our big idea that we're going to circle back around time and time again is this, that our tongue reveals the attitude of our heart. Our tongue, our, our, our speech actually reveals what's deep down in our heart. Now keep in mind that when James wrote this 2,000 years ago, they didn't have Instagram or TikTok or Facebook or email or all the things that we have today, but I think we can just as easily today substitute tongue with fingers. Our fingers reveal the attitude of our heart just as much as our tongue does because we're dealing with a heart issue. So we can't just say, well, I actually didn't say it. I just typed it. Therefore, it's not that bad. No, because it's an issue with our heart. It goes much deeper than that. So today, we're going to get to know our tongue a little bit. We're going to be in the book of James, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. James is at the back of the Bible. You can scroll there. You can follow along on the screen. You can use your table of contents if you need to to get there. But in James chapter 3, we read this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. It's this idea of controlling your whole body. It says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The first thing that we discover from our passage today is this, that our tongue guides our lives and the lives of others. That's what our tongue does. does. It, it, it guides people. It guides ourselves and it guides others. Now, when James wrote this book, he wasn't sitting down at a desk, tapping his quill, thinking to himself, what, what could I write these Christians I'll just throw in something about not everybody should become a teacher. That sounds good. We'll just, we'll just put that in there. You know, James was, was, was addressing and dealing with the issues that he knew were coming up within this church. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. He knew that people were showing favoritism to certain individuals simply because they had more money. So he writes to address that issue. He knew that there was anger coming out within these people. He knew that there was gossips and uh, quarrels and fights happening among these fellow believers. There was gossip happening. There was boasting happening, which he's addressing right here. And there was people that were chasing after worldly pleasures. It's kind of funny how the church back then sounds a lot like the church today. How we look at that list and we say, man, I struggle with those things too. That's why this is so applicable to us, because there's so much stuff in here that we we struggle with too. And James is addressing this idea of boasting. Because back then, teachers were oftentimes elevated and rabbis were elevated to, to a higher position because there was this sense of fame and success that was attached to their role. And James knew that people could try to aspire to the role of the teacher for the wrong reasons. Rather than wanting to become a teacher to lead people on a path that directs them to God, people might want to become a teacher to boast about themselves and say, look at the following that I have. Look at all of these disciples that I've made. And so James's point is simply, hey, think twice before you step into the role of a teacher. Because when you teach somebody, you use your words and you guide them on a path that should direct them to God. And if you guide them on a, on a path that leads them away from God, there are serious consequences for that. 
That's why he says we who teach are going to be judged with greater strictness at the day of judgment. Because we who stand on a platform like this claim, claim to know as best as we can the word of God. And we should be directing people to God, not away from God, not trying to make a name for ourselves. So James's point is, hey, simply think twice because your words guide people. And I know that could be a scary verse and, and, and you think, man, that's why I don't teach in children's ministry. That's why I don't volunteer in student ministry. That's why I don't ever want to become a pastor because that's a scary verse. I don't want to be judged with greater strictness. But we don't have to be scared of this verse because in verse 2, James helps us kind of breathe this breath of fresh grace, if you will. He says, look, you guys, we all stumble. It's this idea of literally tripping over something and falling into sin. Paul says it very similarly in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. James says, look, we all stumble in what we say. And if there's somebody who says that they don't stumble, they're already perfect. Because remember, our words have a source. And if our source, our heart is pure and blameless, our words would be pure and blameless. Yet if I took a poll, I'm pretty sure we'd all raise our hands and say, I've sinned with my mouth. I've lied. I've talked back to my parents. I've gossiped which just reveals our source is not as pure as maybe we think it is. It says, look, guys, we all stumble. Just realize, before you step into that role of teacher, just understand that your words guide. And he gives us some analogies to help us better understand this. He says, look at the bit that is put inside of the horse's mouth. Compared to the overall size of a horse, a bit is pretty small, yet it guides that gigantic beast. And you think about a boat and a rudder. We don't even see the rudder. It's, it's underneath the water. Yet that little rudder, in comparison to the size of the boat, is pretty small, and yet it guides that gigantic boat. And this picture is really disgusting, I know, but you think about a a tongue. On average, the tongue is three inches long, two and a half ounces. Compared to our whole entire body, it's pretty small, but it guides. And we've all seen this play out, how our words guide people. Real quick, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands. You've especially seen this if you're a parent. So if you're a parent... Um, have you ever yelled at your kid for doing something? Maybe I can't be the only one, right? Or maybe you've slipped and, and, uh, I love how you raised your hand for, for, for your dad. (laughs) Or maybe you've slipped and you said like a four letter word and then your kid later repeats it, right? So now, now let me, let me ask you this. For, for those of us who have ever yelled at our kids, have they ever later on then yelled back at you or at a sibling or a friend or ever slipped and said a word and you're like, oh man, they were listening? right? I mean, guess who guided them on that path? Guess, guess where they learned that from? In my home, I don't have to guess. I know where they learned that from. They learned it from their mother because I don't do that kind of stuff. Just kidding. I love you, Katie, if you're watching. She is actually really the most patient person that I know. But whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, our words, for good or for bad, guide people. And that's the point that James is trying to make here in this first little chunk of scripture. Let's continue now as he um, carries on with these analogies. The second part of verse five, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Again, that's our memory verse for this week. The second thing that we see from this passage is that taming our tongue requires divine aid. 
Taming our tongue requires divine aid. In very simple layman's terms, we need God's help if we're ever going to tame our tongue. You know, when I was younger, my brother and I used to build model rockets for fun. And one summer, we built what I thought was our best rocket ever. And we would take our rockets to Taylor Hicks Field and launch them off because they had a big grass field over there. And so when we got done building our rocket, we took it to Taylor Hicks. And we tried launching it. We had the launch pad set up. The rocket was good to go. We stood back. We hit the button. Nothing happened. Hit it again. Nothing happened. Did about 15 minutes of troubleshooting. Finally, we got that rocket to launch up into the air. And it was beautiful for about two seconds. Because it went about 50 feet, a wing fell off, and then it started doing all these flips and came crashing down to the ground. Now, thankfully, it didn't smash into a million pieces. We found the wing, we found the rocket, and we brought it back to the, la- to the uh, launch pad and we started working on it. What we didn't realize was that the actual rocket engine flew out and landed in the grass and started a fire. And so while we had our backs turned to the, to the field trying to work on our rocket and get this thing so we can launch it again, the field was burning down behind us. And we didn't realize it until some other kids came up and said, hey, do you guys know that the field is on fire? And me and my brother are freaking out because I was like maybe 11. I think he was nine. We're young. We're thinking this whole place is going to burn down. We're going to go to jail. Like we're never going to be able to see our mom and our dad. So we look at each other and we decide we're going to go try to stomp this fire out. And so we run over there and we start like, you know, doing one of these things. And thankfully we got the fire out, but not before we you know, melted our shoes and singed all of our leg hair off and took out half of the field at Taylor Hicks. And then we grabbed our stuff and we took off because we didn't want to get caught. I mean, in a, in a matter of minutes, that little tiny engine from the rocket took out a, half of a field. And we all live in Prescott. We're accustomed to seeing thousands of acres burn every single year. And the majority of those fires are started by very small sparks or embers, or flames. But they wipe out thousands of acres. And James says, that's your tongue. And there are so many people watching online and sitting in this room who even today have the burn marks from words that were spoken over you maybe last week, last month, or even decades ago. Because our words can be destructive Look at the picture that he paints of what our tongue is. He says, our tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. The same way a ketchup stain will ruin a a white shirt, a little slip of our tongue will ruin our whole body. It's set on fire by hell. In Greek, that word hell is actually Gehenna. It was the the valley outside of Jerusalem, where in Old Testament days they, they performed human sacrifices to try to appease false gods. It was a place where there was a fire that pretty much constantly burned and people would take their trash and throw it in there. It was like the city dump. It's a disgusting, evil, vile place. And James says, that's your tongue. It's a restless evil and it's full of deadly poison. I mean, what a gruesome picture he paints of our tongue. He says, look, you guys, go to the zoo. Go to the circus. Go to SeaWorld. Look at all the beasts that can be tamed. And if you think about it, it's pretty amazing because we can get a dolphin to wave to a crowd as it swims by and give a high five to a little kid. But we can't even tame this two and a half ounce beast that rests inside of our mouth. 
We can control a dolphin better than we can control our tongue. And you say, why? Why is it so hard? Verse 8 is, is key here. Because no human being can tame the tongue. And the emphasis is on us as a human being in and of ourselves. We do not have the power within ourselves to try to tame this beast. Because again, it's not just a mouth issue, it's a heart issue. And the only one who can remedy our heart issues is God. And we learn about this in Matthew chapter 19, when this rich guy comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gets down to the heart issue pretty quick. And he eventually says, look, sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. The guy couldn't do it. He walked away from Jesus that day. And Jesus took that opportunity to teach his disciples. And he says, look, you guys, it is easier for a camel to enter into the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And disciples hear that and they're shocked and they're thinking, well, hold on a second, Jesus. Then, then, then who can be saved? And Jesus says what's my most favorite verse in all of scripture. In Matthew chapter 19, he says, with man, this is impossible. Salvation, the, the heart problem, trying to save oneself, that, that's impossible with man. But with God, all things are possible. And now, as Christians, sometimes we cling on to certain verses or phrases, um, and, and we kind of use it as like a blanket, blanket statement that we just throw over every situation that might be hard. And so you might be like facing an impossible situation, seemingly impossible, and you say, well, you know, it's, it's possible for God, and we just kind of maybe subconsciously think like, well, that, this verse means that God will just snap his fingers and everything will be easy, and, 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 and he'll make it possible, and I won't struggle, I won't have any heartache. But that's not the case. And I love what Erwin McManus says about this. He says that the impossible never surrenders to the possible without a fight. Because we're in a spiritual war. And yes, we know who's going to win, but Satan is not going to go down without a fight. And our hearts and our souls are in the midst of that battle. And so you might be thinking, Josh, it is so hard for me to stop cussing. All my coworkers do it, so I have to do it. Gosh, it is so hard for me to actually use my words to encourage people because all I've ever known was criticism. It's so hard. I'm just going to nod my head and say, I know. It is hard because it's a heart issue. And heart issues are usually hard to work through. But we need God's help if we ever stand a chance of really taming this beast that rests inside of our mouth. That's the point that he's trying to make here in that second chunk of scripture that we read. Now let's talk about the third thing that we see. This is going to shed some good light or some good news on this passage because we're going to talk about how we can actually use our tongue for good. We actually can use our tongue and our voice and our fingers for good. This is what James says as he continues now in verse 9. Still speaking about our tongue, he says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So I've alluded to this already, but our mouth and our fingers are really just vents for our heart. If there's raw sewage down here, Eventually, that raw sewage is going to come out through our words, whether we type them or speak them. 
And that is why I love this verse in Proverbs when we're instructed to watch over our heart with all diligence. Why? For from it flow the springs of life. If you think about a pool, I don't own a pool, but if you think about it, you know, there's impurities, there's leaves, there's things that fall down into the water and you use one of those big nets, you know, to kind of scoop out the stuff and and take it out. That's what we're supposed to be doing with our hearts. We tend our hearts. We watch over our hearts. We say, God, create in me a clean heart. Help me to surrender over those things. Because this is the source from where our words come. And James says, look, guys, look, look, at, look, at, the, look at the fig tree. If, if the source of the tree, if, if the source of the fig tree is, you know, it's, it's a fig tree, then it's going to produce figs. You're not going to find an orange on a fig tree. Same thing with, like, grapes. If, if the source is healthy and it's producing grapes, you would say, hey, that's a, that's, that's a grapevine. It's not going to produce some weird apple or something like that. These things are consistent in the fruit that they bear, and we as followers of Jesus should be consistent in the fruit that we bear with the words that we speak. We shouldn't be mixing the bad with the good or the blessings with the curses as James talks about. We have to tend our hearts, make sure that source is pure. And I know we've been speaking a lot about how um, evil our tongues can be and how destructive they can be, but I want to just take a minute to, to paint a picture of what it could look like if we spoke a little bit different. And so I'm going to use my friend, Pastor Clovis, as the example. I love Clovis. He's our executive pastor here. He's out here on stage. Best boss I've ever worked for in my entire life. But he was born in Mississippi, which there's nothing wrong with being born in Mississippi, but he says words that are slightly different than the words I would say as somebody who's been in Arizona my whole life. So I went around and I asked my fellow co-workers around the office this past week, hey, what are some words that Clovis says that's just a little bit different than, than what we might say? And we came up with a list. Here's, here's just three of them. We might say, hey, the baby is naked. Clovis would say, no, 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 the baby is naked. Like, naked. When we might say, hey, let's look out the window, Clovis would say, look out the window. It's subtle, but it's different. And we might say, hey, we're going to gather on Sunday. Clovis would say, hey, we're going to gather on Sunday. It's subtle, but it's different. You think of somebody who might come from a foreign country like Australia or something, and they start talking, and it makes you stop for a second and think, oh, it, it's a little bit different. They must not be from around here. I never heard it like that before. And so this might sound extremely cheesy, I don't know, but I was thinking about what if we as followers of Jesus spoke with a gospel accent? I mean, what if we spoke in such a way that caused people to say, man, hold on a second. It's subtle, but it's different. I've never quite heard that before. That's a little bit different. I mean, what if when everybody else was standing around the water cooler at work gossiping, We chose to speak in encouragement. Or what if when everybody else was speaking in lies, we chose to speak the truth? Or what if when everybody was speaking in fear, we chose to speak in hope? Or what if when everybody else was sending up curses, we chose to send up blessings? Because we have a very, very powerful thing that rests inside of our mouth. Yes, it can be used for mass destruction. I think James clearly paints that picture. 
but it can also be used for mass healing. Ultimately, it's an atomic bomb or a hospital, and you get to choose what it's going to be. Are we going to be people known for using our words to build others up and bring health and healing? Or people who tear others down and cause destruction? And for the, for the longest time, I, I wrestled with, man, why do my words really matter? Why is it such a big deal? And then somebody told me this that I want to share with you because it, it was profound for me. They said, look, sometimes the words that you speak are going to be the only picture of Jesus that other people see. Those of us who, who have put our faith in Jesus, we're painting a picture with the words that we speak. So almost says this, every word is like a, a, a brush stroke. And if people know that we follow Jesus and all we ever say are critical things or hurtful things or hypocritical things, that's painting a picture of a pretty disgusting looking Jesus. Nobody's going to want to follow that. I think we need to be careful with what we say. Because Jesus is beautiful. Following him is the most amazing thing ever. And so our words should reflect that. So I think it's important for us to take a step back and really think about how we're using our words and realize, man, I can use my words for good. It's struggle. It's a struggle. It's hard. You know, it's been well over a decade since I found myself sitting on the edge of my bed that night reading through the book of James. And I don't say this to boast at all, but I, I can honestly say as I stand here today, the way that I speak is different, but I still stumble. I still stay, say ridiculous things. I was still mean with my words even this morning when my seven-year-old was throwing a fit because I put peanut butter on his waffle and not coconut oil and honey. And I caught myself, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I still struggle with this. It's still hard. So if you find yourself in that situation where you're like, man, this is like one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is learn how to tame my tongue. I want to encourage you. First, realize that you need God's help. You can't do it on your own. And second, it is going to be a lot harder than I think we want it to be because the impossible does not go down without a fight. But it is possible if we continue to surrender and to give our hearts over and to tend our hearts and realize, man, we can, we can actually bless people and heal people with our words. So I want to close by giving you guys a couple of next steps. These are just simple ways that we can actually apply this message throughout the week. And the first one is to pray Psalm 141, verse 3, every day this week. It's a simple psalm, simple verse. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. Remember, we can put the word fingers in there. Set a guard, O Lord, over my fingers. This is just a cry, God, I need your help in really understanding what it means to tame my tongue. God, I know I have an opinion, but not everybody needs to hear my opinion. I don't, I don't have to post it on social media. God, would you put a guard over my mouth and over my heart? Would you help me to take every thought captive? Would you help me be quick to, 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 to speak or quick to hear, slow to speak? God, I need your help in that. So just pray that every day this week. See how God changes you through it. And then the second thing I want to challenge you guys to do is to speak a blessing to somebody this week. And if you've never done this before, it's going to take some courage because it can be extremely difficult and awkward. And unfortunately, speaking blessings have become a lost art in the church. 
but it's something that God's people have been doing from the beginning. And a blessing is simply a true statement that tries to invoke or dump God's goodness and blessing onto an individual. It's using our words to encourage them and to to speak hope and truth into their life. If you think of somebody who just kind of walks around kind of mopey, it's the hand that goes under the chin and lifts them up and says, it's going to be okay. And we have the power to bless people. And I think one of the most beautiful blessings that we read in Scripture comes from Numbers chapter 6 when Moses is talking to Aaron and to Aaron's sons. And he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's this, it's this cry that God's presence and blessings would just go with Aaron and his sons. You know, whenever we do a child dedication here, we ask the parents to write a blessing over their children because there's power in that. This past year, we asked the parents of graduating seniors to write a blessing for their senior because we understand that there's power in that. My hope is that that would become part of our DNA as Cornerstone Church, that we would speak blessings over our young people especially, but that we'd also get comfortable sharing blessings with each other, encouraging each other. It doesn't have to be super archaic. You don't have to use this if you don't want to. A blessing could be a simple encouragement of saying, thank you so much. You may have never known this, but... When I was younger, you invested in me and that changed my life. That's a blessing. That encourages the person who's hearing it. So I want to challenge you this week. Think of that person that you could bless. Pull your spouse in close. Gather your family around. Call your mom or your dad. Meet somebody for coffee. Look them in the eye and choose to use your words for good. Push past the awkwardness because it's ultimately not about you. It's about the person receiving it. And bless them. Now I'm going to end by actually saying a blessing over you guys. I'm going to steal a page out of Scott's book. So if you guys could stand, I'm going to, I'm going to share a blessing with you. I'm going to close in prayer and then we're going to get led in one more song. But as you stand, if you can just kind of, again, this, this can be awkward, I know. But if you can kind of open up your hands as though you're going to receive a gift. I'm going to bless you as we go here today. May God show up in each of your lives this week in a profound way like you've never experienced before. May his presence go with you and may he use you to lift up and encourage somebody this week. May we as his people walk boldly in the truth and delight in being used by him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you first loved us. We look to the cross as proof of that. Help us to love you and to love people in return. Lord, we admit we can do no good thing apart from you, so we desperately depend on your Holy Spirit power working in us and through us. God, we don't want to play church We don't want to just show up on Sundays. Lord, we want to be used to make an impact in this place, in Prescott and around the world. So we ask that you would use us. Lord, help us to stay humble. Help us to keep guard over our heart, to tend it, to nurture it, to live in humility. Thank you for the grace that you extend to us whenever we stumble and fall. 
Lord, we ask that you would use us this week as we go from here. We love you and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.